As we approach our gospel reading this morning, I want to also welcome those of you who are worshiping with us via the live stream. We're grateful that you're joining your spirits with ours in worship this morning. Our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he gathers his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. There is an assignment in my seminary's introductory preaching course that has gained almost legendary status over the years. It's one of those things that everyone has to do and everyone's always talking about it. Our preaching professor has everyone write a parable once a week for the entire semester. The task is to go out into our world and find glimpses of God's kingdom among us. We learned about how parables are like little prisms that shimmer differently according to how you shift the light through them. Every pastor probably has a different answer to the question, what is a parable? But my elevator pitch is that they show us something about who God is something about who we are in the presence of our creator. They're always surprising. We're left thinking, that's not exactly how I thought that was going to go. I remember many of the parables I wrote during that semester. That exercise broke open for me the beauty and joy of seeking God's presence in my everyday life. I'd walk around searching for hints of the Spirit's work among us, mostly because I had to turn it in by the end of the week, but also because it was beautiful. The things that I found were subtle and surprising. The parables would sound something like this. The kingdom of God is like music playing in an empty art museum. It's always there for when someone decides to show up. The parables would be about anything and everything. They engaged our imaginations around what the kingdom of God is like. That exercise from my first year of seminary helped me to identify little impromptu parables everywhere I went to catch glimpses 
of where God is present and where God might be calling me to participate in the Spirit's work in the world. Here's the thing, though. Those parables that I find out in the world in my everyday life, they're a lot easier for me to decipher than the parables of Jesus because, well, I came up with the ones from my own life. I'd like to think that the Spirit was alive and active in those moments, and I do believe that, but I had an element of agency in those moments. I decided to stop and look and listen and feel. When it comes to these little parables of Jesus, though, it's the experiences of Jesus that we're encountering. Through these holy texts, we're catching glimpses of Jesus' encounters with God, not our own. These stories about these moments, which we call parables, are such gifts to us as we journey closer with God and in our own journeys of discipleship. They reveal something about the world as we know it and the world as God sees it. And often they're about the relationship between those two things. And they challenge us to see the world as God sees it. So today, we have these two little gems, these two parables of Jesus. We get the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the missing coin. In both these little stories, the subject starts out with something whole, a whole set of something, sheep or coins. And then the set isn't whole anymore. It's missing. Something has been lost. And so the subject, the shepherd and the woman, Leave and go after the lost one. The lost one is found, and the finder rejoices. But the finder doesn't just rejoice by herself. In both cases, she throws a party. Because something that was lost has now been found, and that is no small thing. I find that when we're reading parables like these, we often look for our own place within those stories. This is a good impulse. We want to know where our own stories intersect with these holy ones, these glimpses into the realm of God. Today, when you heard these stories of lost sheep and lost coins, you may have thought, I have been the lost one. I have wandered away only to be welcomed back into the fold. Or, I am the lost one right this very minute. I don't know what I'm doing. My faith is rocky. If that's you, know that you are welcome in this story. God, the master seeker, the relentless searcher of all that has strayed, has already found you. And what a gift to be found and to be celebrated. But you might have identified with a different part of the story. Perhaps you were reading and listening and you thought, oh, I'm one of the ones who never left who sat patiently while the shepherd or the woman went searching for the lost one. Maybe you thought, I don't know what it's like to be lost. I've been here all along. I've watched sheep and coins be brought back into the fold time and time again. If that's you, then know that you too are welcome in this story. What a gift that you too have been found by God and that you get to watch those rhythms of seeking and finding, joining the celebration time and time again. 
And you might have identified with yet another part of this story. Maybe you thought to yourself, I haven't been the lost one, but I haven't been the one who stayed. Perhaps you thought, I'm the one who gets invited to the welcome home party. I'm on the periphery, never quite part of the action, watching what's happening down the street. If that's you, then know that you too are welcome in this story. A party isn't a party without the guests. I could keep going. There are a multitude of ways that each of us might be invited into these parables of lost and found things. It's simply the nature of good stories. We encounter so many possible points of entry, and we find ourselves and our people and our experiences among those details. But I want for us to also take a step back this morning with these parables. I want us to look at them with a bird's eye view looking down to see what these stories might show us about the world as God sees it. Because as much as we might be able to place ourselves in these narratives, they're ultimately about the kingdom of God. On this side of eternity, we can only catch glimpses of this holy reality. And thanks be to God that we do have them, because if we pay attention, they can break open for us a world of wonder and grace within this world that we inhabit. So let's return to the beginning, before Jesus even starts the parables. The story starts, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. These Pharisees and scribes, they're the people in Jesus' time who knew a lot about religious custom and law and were great at keeping them, and they are not happy about how Jesus is choosing to spend his time. Not only is he taking the time to hang out with sinners, he's also eating with them. He's choosing to gather at table with the kinds of folks who wouldn't have been welcome in many of the official religious and social circles. He's being intentional about who he spends his time with, and people are not happy about it. So as he often does, Jesus tells these grumbly people a couple of stories. With this kind of setup, we ought to be ready for a real doozy of a parable. If we were to suspend what we already know about these stories, we might guess that Jesus is setting these guys up for a story that teaches them a big lesson about minding their own business. But that's not what happens. Instead, we get these two parables and he gives them in the form of questions. Essentially, Jesus says, if you were a shepherd and you lost one of your sheep, wouldn't you drop everything and go find it? Or if you were a woman with a set of important coins to keep up with and you lost one, wouldn't you turn the house upside down looking for it till you found it? If Jesus prompted us to answer those questions, we might say, well, sure, yeah, of course we'd go find the lost thing and bring it back where it belongs. But here's the kicker. Jesus doesn't stop there. He sets his listeners up to answer in the affirmative, and then he adds a little extra on top of it. He says, and when you found the lost sheep and the lost coin, wouldn't you invite your whole family and all your friends over to celebrate? Wouldn't you throw a big party? You'd just be so happy to have found these lost things that you simply can't contain your joy and you have to share it with everyone around you? 
to these questions, we might not be so quick to answer in the affirmative. We can't know exactly how Jesus' originally, original audience would have answered, but we can imagine they might not quite get the impulse to throw a giant party upon finding one measly sheep or one little coin. You know, it's literally the shepherd's job to keep track of his flock. And how hard is it to keep track of 10 coins? Just keep them all together and you won't have this issue in the first place. Why would you throw a party? This is the crucial element of these stories, this call for celebration. This is the moment where we encounter the upside down reality of the kingdom of God. This is the surprise in the story. We've been following what Jesus is saying, nodding along, which is really rather mundane and relatable until now. Who's got the time and energy to throw a party for every little found object? If I threw a party every time I found my car keys before I got in the car to go to work in the morning, my friends would get sick of having parties. But this is the kingdom of God. Jesus says at the end of the lost sheep story, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one person who repents than over 99 righteous persons with no need of repentance. This over-the-top image of party after party after party, this is a glimpse of God's kingdom at work. This is the part of the story that looks nothing like our own lives, and so it's the part that we pay attention to. Theologian Marva Dawn wrote a book about Christian worship called A Royal Waste of Time. That's her way of describing what worship is, a royal waste of time. It's a waste of time because according to the culture around us, what we do when we gather here in this space on Sunday mornings doesn't make a lick of sense. Our culture values productivity and accomplishment, and we are simply here to encounter God. We have been called by God to this space to praise and worship and lament and share our joys and petitions, but we aren't getting anything done. It's a waste of time, but it is a royal waste of time. Because the God whom we worship, this God is the creator of the universe, the one who redeems and sustains the life of the world. Worship is a royal waste of time. This is how I think about these parables today. Celebrations we hear Jesus telling about are most certainly a royal waste of time. The party for the once lost coin doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but then again, neither does a lot of what we do as members of the global church. Worship, fellowship, learning, peace and justice work, caring for those who are poor, none of these things make any more sense to the world we live in than a party after you found a penny under a couch cushion. But the upside-down world of God's mercy and justice don't make a whole lot of sense either, do they? A Christian figure that I like often says in her talks and podcasts, what if all the things that we say we believe were actually true? How would we live our lives differently? It's such a great question, and it makes me sit down every time she says it. What if all of this is actually true? 
How would we live if we actually truly believed that God has found us before we even knew that we were lost? That God's kindness extends so far beyond what we could ask or imagine? The kind of kindness that throws extravagant parties for the little things in life? It would most certainly change the way that we live. Instead of living like God's grace is a fixed quantity resource, we'd recognize that God's welcome home parties extend to everyone, and the party supplies and the energy never run out. Instead of acting like there are people whose political views or criminal record or stories place them outside the realm of Christ's redemption, we come to expect that God welcomes in whom we would last invite. Instead of keeping our attention within our own little spheres of influence, we'd widen our attention to notice the work that the Spirit is already doing in the neighborhoods and communities we sometimes ignore. Perhaps we'd even be welcome at the party that God is already throwing there. One of the things that made me most excited about accepting a call to this congregation was the knowledge that this church is in a significant period of transition. I've never been part of a congregation that was undergoing changes in pastoral leadership, so I knew it would be an exciting chance for me to learn. And I'm less than a month into things here, but I can already tell that I'm going to learn so much with you. But more than anything, I feel grateful to journey alongside you as you take this intentional time to think about what it means to be authentic and faithful Christian community. As Nate reminded us in his sermon last week, it is such a lovely gift to look back and give thanks to God for all of the wonderful things in our past, for the lovely stories and histories that we hold together. But there's also a challenge for us these days at First Presbyterian, and that's to discern the new thing, the new work that God is doing in our midst. If we look around at our congregation and our wider community, who is God already welcoming into the holy work of the kingdom? Whose celebration can we join, trusting that there is enough joy and welcome to go around? My prayer for us in this season is that we would recall that the world as God sees it is one in which there is a party every time someone comes home and no one is outside the reach of that welcome and celebration. Whether we are the ones being welcomed back, the ones who remain, the ones on the periphery watching, God welcomes all of us into this story of grace and redemption. That is both a gift and a challenge. May we accept it. Amen.